It's your old pal, the Cryptkeeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Trick or Treaters podcast. I'm your host, Kyle, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, JR. Uh, JR, recently, uh, it's you know, it's November now. We we ended Spooky Month uh, just a few days ago with with you know with uh, my favorite holiday of all time, Halloween. Uh, let everybody know. Uh, uh, first of all, how you been, and uh, what did you do for Halloween, if anything? You know, well, it was a pretty good weekend. Um, for those who don't know, I'm a my three passions are ho- uh, horror, wrestling, and MMA. So, from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, uh, Saturday I got chance to see UFC 267, which was a fun card. It was a you know great scene. A uh, who is the second oldest UFC champion ever at the age of 42, Glover Teixeira, become the UFC light heavyweight champion. That was pretty cool. And then on uh, Sunday, on Halloween, it's actually my aunt's birthday, uh, and so we had a brunch for her. And it's, as my dad said, always jokes around, he used to say growing up that on uh, Halloween, instead of getting a, a treat, he got tricked when his uh, little sister was born. So uh, it was kind of a uh, funny thing. And then at night, we got together with my uh, niece and nephew and my sister and brother-in-law, and uh, we had a, an inflatable projection screen showing Halloween kills on the Peacock Network, which was cool because I got a chance to see everything all over again. And and we we're trying to you know simulcast watch the World Series as well as Halloween kills. So like in the beginning when they go into my favorite spot, uh, spoiler in five. Four, three, two, one. When Doctor Loomis comes out and he says, "Officer Hawkins, tell me, tell me, did Michael kill again? Tell me!" Like I just popped seeing, you know, Sam, the flashback of Doctor Loomis, and so he kept going back between the kills, and I was showing them like, "Oh, look, here's my favorite part. This is when Michael kills, you know, uh, this this person, or you know, just everything about it." And then again, watching you know, the Royal Series, and then having just a bunch of trick-or-treaters come by, which is cool, seeing all the kids in their costume. Michael Myers is really popular around the neighborhood. A house, there's like a, a house, like a haunted house. They had three different Michael Myers statues all over the outside of the house. There was kids coming with Michael Myers costumes. There was um, a dad that had a Michael Myers outfit. So it was definitely popular. And, and when we had it, the way we had it set up, you know, if kids came by, they would see it. So we'd have some kids come by and it didn't matter if they were five years old and, or there were teenagers, they would be like, Oh my God, that's Michael. Oh my, I love this movie. Like kids knew what it was, which I was kind of shocked me a little bit, even the younger kids, but it was, it was cool to be a part of it and seeing it. So, uh, 
definitely look forward to something like that again next year following for the, the kids as they come around for trick-or-treating. Yeah, that sounds like a fun time. Uh, I uh, got to uh, – I did my usual of – I went down back down to my uh, parents' uh, uh, hometown, and we uh, trick-or-treated with my niece and nephews and, and my family, and it was super fun. We went uh, – just uh, always go back to my hometown, and uh, we take the kids trick-or-treating around the same – pretty much the same area uh, that we all went trick-or-treating to as kids. And so it was great revisiting that. Uh, I dressed up as, as Ghostface. Uh, <laughs> I was going to do Donnie Darko, but I couldn't uh, find uh, the right skeleton outfit, uh, which was really shocking because I thought it'd, it'd be easy to do, but uh, and I couldn't find the right one. Or, or I could order it online, but it wouldn't have been there in time. So I just went as Ghostface. I haven't been Ghostface in, since I was a kid, and and with all the scream uh, resurgence of everybody uh, uh, being in love with the series again, I wanted to uh, I wanted to revisit Ghostface. And my nephew, uh, my oldest nephew, he was uh, Sam from Trick or Treat, and then my my youngest nephew was uh, Chucky, and then my niece was like a was like a. Uh, a creepy clown and it was just it was so fucking fun running around trick-or-treating with uh, taking the kids trick-or-treating uh as ghost face like basically like and because like uh my mom took pictures of us and it was like it was funny just seeing ghost face walk around with sam trick-or-treating and chucky and i just i had a blast that I, I fucking love halloween just love uh getting to do stuff with my uh niece and nephews and everything and just showing them what I got to do when I was a kid and, and getting to re- relive that for a night. It was just so fun. I also got to, uh, I went to Sonic on the way, way back home and went to the drive through in full ghost face costume, which was great. But my highlight of the night was probably, uh, I, I got to recreate a scene from Scream 2 by, by complete accident. I walked, uh, uh, I, I had to go to the restroom. And so there was a Walmart that was just right, that was on my way. So I just pulled in there real quick and I walked into full costume. They didn't say anything. So I walked in the bathroom and I was the only one in there. And as I went to the urinal and I heard the door open. And, uh, this guy walked in and I turned and I, I turned, uh, I, I turned my head and looked over at the door and I did the, uh, head tilt that Ghostface does and he fucking walked out and it was, it was the funniest thing ever. I, I loved it so much. I just, I had a blast. Yeah. The, the one of the interesting things about how, uh, was trick or treats, man, I saw some kids. I was like, I was going to start asking for their IDs. Cause I was like, man, you look like you're like 16, 17, 18. We do trick or treating, but it was kind of the same time. It was like, you know, we didn't have trick or treating last year. It was kind of like, you know what, fuck it, let everybody have fun this year. And, and just the neighborhood that we were in, you could tell everybody had fun in the neighborhood, which was really, really a cool thing to see. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's so fun. But I mean, I don't shame anyone, uh, no matter how old they are, for trick or treating. Like, uh, I I don't care. I'd much rather kids be out. Uh, I'd much rather see. T- I saw a post on Facebook where said uh, i'd rather have teenagers uh trick-or-treating and trying to get candy than out partying and i i agreed a lot with that post you know that's very true you know you think about it especially uh not to get too far into the weeds but you think of all some of the issues that have gone on uh, i just read the story um today on our local uh thing about issues with with uh the fentanyl and how fentanyl has just been 
you know, killing young kids and, you know, that it's being put into, you know, other types of drugs. And there was a a girl who had like just graduated high school and the next day was at a grad party um, earlier this um, back in, you know, graduation in June. And the next day went to a grad party and died from fentanyl poisoning. And you think about, man, if, you know, if these kids came and just got candy and that's them not doing stuff like, let's say, vandalizing or going to a party and doing underage drinking or doing illegal drugs and ending up in doing, you know, stuff like that, then that that's a way better use of time than, than doing something they shouldn't be doing. So as, especially after the last year we've had, it's like I fully support them doing what they're doing right now, what they did, seeing them trick-or-treat on Halloween. Like I said, it was a lot of fun in the neighborhood. Oh yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, but before we, uh, you know, so we don't keep going on uh, talking too much about uh, Halloween, because I know we'll be here all night if we continue talking about uh, Halloween, how much all the fun we had and stuff. So uh, we'll just move on. Uh, a quick news, real quick, before we get into the review, and given that we're talking about uh, a scream installment uh, on this on uh, this week, I figured this was relevant. Uh, it just got announced today. A UK company called Serial Killer is releasing a an official Scream branded cereal uh, that you can buy in the UK. And apparently, there's going to be a collector's box that they're going to uh, uh, make that features uh, that'll be the first ever featured uh, talking cereal box. So I'm assuming it's going to be like a ghost face voice on the cereal box and the, the box has ghost face on it and it's called uh, strawberries and scream. And I am clamoring to find friends in the UK to, uh, it comes out in January to get me a box uh, and send it to me. I will absolutely pay for it. Uh, you could go on their website uh, right now. I think it's like uh cereal. Uh, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll post the, the link in the description of the episode. But you can go on their website and uh, ask to be added to the mailing list, and they'll let you know when it becomes available. But I'm definitely going to try and get a box just for my collection alone. You know, normally I would definitely be all over that because I love cereal, but man, I got so much collection stuff I have nowhere to put. But I just wish it was in America. I think that people here would tear it up. And it was actually, you know, funny you said that. I just don't buy it because I just I don't eat cereal anymore because of my diet. But I saw um, what's the like the famous one like the Count Chocula one and I but it's more of like the mixture of everything. I don't know if it's like Monster Mash or something like that. But it was like the one that comes out every along with Boo Berry every Halloween. And I saw it on the shelf and I almost bought one and I, just because of the you know because it's Halloween and I thought it'd be cool, but um. Yeah, just that's awesome. I remember as a kid, uh, something else I was from a movie was when South Park came out with the uh, cheesy poofs when they came out with their movie back in 1999, I think it was. That I had to get a box of that, and it was like t- I remember at the time it was like ten dollars, which seemed like way too much for something like that. But I had it on my shelf for like six years, never ate them, just had it on my shelf because I thought that was the coolest thing ever. That had a box of cheesy poofs from South Park. No, that's 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 great, man. Che- cheesy boots are great. Uh, 
But yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna try and get my hands on a box, especially that collector's box, and you know, and I'm I'm actually not gonna eat it. I'm just gonna not gonna open it and just put it in my collection. Uh, I'll put it next to my good guys uh, cereal that I have already. But you know, I, I'm sure if there was like you know Haddonfield puffs or something, you, you you'd make sure to get a box and find a place for that. You know, if I had a house, I definitely would. I just don't have the space as a problem. But I definitely would get it to eat it, try it out though. Cause I, you know what, I did buy in, in when when WWE came out with the New Day Budios. I did buy a box of that and I tried it, and it actually was pretty good. Yeah, I haven't tried Budios yet, but I heard that they were good. Yeah, it was good at the time. Um, I don't, I know they were sold to Fye. I think they're, I don't know if they're still out there, but it was sold to Fye for a period of time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the uh, scream scream cereal coming out in January, uh, as uh, I guess as a promotion for the upcoming film, which I'm super excited for. I'm definitely gonna try and get a box, and uh, if anyone else uh, is interested in it, it's Serial Killer in the UK is the name of the company. You check them out, Google it. You should be able to find all the info. But yeah, uh, moving on. Uh, Speaking of Scream, we'll just get straight into it. We are, uh, this week, we're talking about Scream 4 from 2011. This is, uh, honestly, my, my second favorite in the franchise. Uh, it's it just right behind the original, it, so far at least. Uh, I have a feeling the new one, well, I'm hoping it's going to uh be one of my favorites as well but yeah scream four uh my, my rankings are always scream scream four four scream three uh scream two and then scream three at the, uh finishing up the rankings but yeah i'm a big fan of scream four i know some people are are some people really really like it and it's their second favorite as well from what i've noticed in the from the uh the scream uh fandom and then there's some people who absolutely hate Scream 4. And we'll see where we both land on that uh, when we get into the review. But yeah, we're talking about Scream 4, uh, directed by Wes Craven. This was, unfortunately, uh, and sadly, this was Wes Craven's final film before he passed away. It was, of course, uh, written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, and it, is, it stars David R. R. Our original trio is back, David Arquette, uh, Neve Campbell, and Courtney Cox. And then we also have Emma Roberts, Hayden Panettiere, Anthony Anderson, Allison Brie, Adam Brody, Rory Culkin, and that is the brother of Macaulay Culkin, Mario Joffrey, Eric Knudsen, Mary McDonald, and uh, Marley Shelton, who plays uh, Sheriff Judy Hicks and Nico Tortillo. And then it was released April 11th, 2011. Or uh, in you know, it was released April fifteenth, two thousand eleven, in the U.S. has a runtime of one hundred eleven minutes. It had a budget of forty million dollars, and it made a box office total of ninety seven point two million. So all in all, not a bad box office, but it did essentially underperform at the time, um, and for those reasons. Um, the plans for doing a fifth and even a sixth film was essentially dead on arrival due to the underperformance. And that actually led the way 
for them to have the M- in 2015 the uh, MTV series screen, which was a spin, you know, the spinoff, and that was uh, something you know I think you and I one day would definitely like to would probably do some review on as far as the seasons because that was a the first two seasons which was together and then the third season which was essentially an anthology um that had nothing to do with the previous two seasons i thought they were great i thought they were uh both storylines were unique in their own way but um yeah it was not uh, unfortunately it wasn't a good outing for the last film directed by wes craven I'd have to disagree. I uh, I love I love Scream Four. I, I mean, as far as box office, as far as boss, okay, okay, yeah. okay, I got you. As far yeah. as box office, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but oh yeah, I would love to talk about this Scream TV series. Uh, season one and two and the Halloween special are some of my favorites. Like, I absolutely love the Scream TV series. I, I tell everybody about it. Uh, I, I don't care about uh, three as as most people don't. Uh, and some people do really like a three, and you know, th- th- uh, season three, and that's th- okay. But uh, it, season three wasn't for me. But season one and two, and the Halloween special at the end of season two, fucking chef's kiss. Uh, I tell everybody about it. Like uh, I tell everybody who like who initially wrote it off because of the mask and stuff. I was like, dude, you you, you, you y'all have to watch this. If you're a fan of Scream, you have to watch the Scream TV series that came out on MTV. It's available on Netflix to stream it, but. It's so fucking good. I, I loved it. Yeah, it was like I I made sure and, and watched it when it came out, and I think it's one of those. We'll give the comparison. It's like Halloween three season of the witch. If you take away Halloween three and just call it season of the witch, I think people would have a different perspective on it. And I think same thing was with the scream first two seasons, uh, or even the third season. But if you had called it anything else, you know, slasher or whatever I, i'm trying to think what was the name of the, the the character's name the like the the name of the um, uh something james uh but did he have didn't he have a nickname though no. the only thing coming to my the only thing that's coming to my mind is the springwood slasher which i know is not real that's because that's freddy krueger yeah that's freddy krueger hold on it's uh but essentially what i'm saying is if it had any other name i think people would give it more respect than what it, it deserved. Brandon James. Brandon James. Um, I feel like the the character had a nickname, but I could be making that up because it's been a while since I've seen the yeah. series. I can't um, remember if he had a nickname. I just know it's Brandon James, but yeah, I plan on revisiting the series before Scream uh, 2022 comes out. Maybe Lakewood Slasher. That's what it was called because be, the, yeah, because yeah. the, the the town was Lakewood. Yeah, I knew a slasher was in there. Um, yeah, yeah, the the town in the TV series is Lakewood instead of Woodsboro in the in the film. So if they would have called it like Lakewood Slash or anything else besides Scream, I think people would have looked at it differently. Obviously, Probably, yeah. Obviously, if you use the term Scream, you already going to have it, it has like a built-in audience that people are going to tune in at the very least of the first episode to see what's it about. Um, but like I said, I I thought it was good. I, there was a lot of characters in it that I enjoyed. Uh, in both the first two seasons the third season I only watched it one time and it's been a while since i've seen the two um but yeah and but now though and one of the reason i watched we're reviewing screen four is all roads lead back to woodsboro come january when the next scream uh chapter drops in movie theaters 
Exactly. And with that being said, I guess we'll get straight into Scream 4. And, I mean, we'll start off with the beginning. Uh, and all i got to say about the beginning is, if it's illogical, it begs the question. That if the, the beginning of Stab 7 is Stab 6, and if the beginning of Stab 6 is Stab 5, and if so, what is Stab 4 about, JR? I'm sorry, you lost me. I dozed off. Um, this is... Okay, this, the, the train's already off the tracks already. Like, this, you know, the re- one of the reasons why I don't like... So, for me, you give your rankings. My rankings are literally the order of the film. Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4. Um, and Scream 4 by a distant. And the reason is, is like, the this movie, in my opinion, this whole beginning was just uh, unnecessary and was just... It was, I don't know if it was like just for laughs or if it was, what was the whole intensive purposes in it, but just this whole setup was just so like not interesting and it killed the vibe in the movie theater, especially when you look at the tone of, you know, in Scream 1 with Drew Barrymore and Scream 2 with Jada Pinkett Smith and I think it was Omar Epps and then in Scream 3 with Lee Schreiber and then you get into this silliness, it just... Not that the film can't have comedic spots, but it's just, I to me, just set the wrong tone of the film and put that plane into a nosedive that as much as the rest of the film, like, pulled back up, it just was hard to overcome, like, just this kind of, like, just negative animosity m- me personally had for the film. So it's just that, yeah, the train was already derailed before we left the station. I was so now, I was so confused. Now, what was the purpose of it? And you talked about when you talk about that. Like, do you mean the entire opening or just that little fake out opening? The like the whole fake out until we get to the actual kills. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the the, the fake out was a little weird. I will admit, first time I saw it, but over the time, I've I've kind of accepted it, and and and, and I, I I like it. I like it for what it is, but. I do like the actual opening, but I will say though, okay, so the, the actual opening, you know, of course we have you know, Jenny and Marty and everything, but the original opening and I, I sent it to you, JR, and anybody who's listening, you can check it out. It's on YouTube. You just look up Scream Four alternate opening. So much better, in my opinion. And I think JR you you would agree with me too that it was a way better uh opening and i think that's what they should have done anyway yeah i mean i just think it it just it it has the same tone of what we've known from scream is that something you're going to have a brutal murder that's going to start the film the the, um especially marnie later would become a bigger star than when i first saw her um marnie cooper who's played by um I believe it's Britt Robinson. Uh, I remember seeing her later in a TV show called Under the Dome. I believe so. Um, it was Stephen King that was made for, I believe, the the network CBS back in um, 2013. It didn't last long. She played a character named Angie McAllister. But then she was also in the Disney film with George Clooney called Tomorrowland, as well as some other roles that she did. Um with Amy T. Garden, who played, um, she was known for her character role in Friday Night Lights. I just wasn't familiar with her in that film, but played yeah. Jenny. But I, I was a huge Friday Night Lights fan. I, I, I knew her immediately. But I think 
I think just going straight to the opening would have been just better. It would have kept that tone, and it just wouldn't have had. Again, I just thought it was silly and unnecessary to do the fake out opening, and just the way that it was just set up. Um, I mean, it was great seeing. Oh, I'm gonna lose her names. Kristen Bell and Anna. I can never say Anna's last name. Uh, yeah. Anna Packin. Uh, Packin from, uh, from True Blood. True Blood, and and she played Rogue in the first three X Men. Um, so I mean, it was great having them there because they're big names, they're big stars. You know, Kristen Bell. We've seen her work. I think you know from everything from Couples Retreat to Veronica Mars. Uh, um forgetting sarah marshall and then you know again we just said and from you know true blood fame and x-men is i just should have been something else but that's just me that's one person's opinion i'm not saying i'm right it's just that's my opinion i got you i feel you but yeah so you know we open up with a little fake out it's the 15th anniversary of the original woodsboro murders by billy loomis and Stu mocker and you know, Jenny and Mari are two high school girls, and they're sitting on the couch and they're debating the quality of the du- the dwindling Stab series after watching the opening scene of Stab Seven, which is hilarious how meta this movie is when when they do stuff like this. I will say they do have a point because you think of all of like our significant, you know, all of our significant yeah sequels. There's some bad a- sequels in all of ours, so I, I it is kind of you know ironic that they did it. Yeah, the, there's a funny joke in there that Wes Craven put in. Uh, I think it's Jenny says that uh, Stab five, 5 had time travel, but people, uh, or or Stab 5 was supposed to have time, or had had time travel, and people didn't like it. Uh, that was put in there because apparently Craven, Wes Craven said that, I think it was on A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, he, uh, he uh, actually pitched, for time travel to happen in the film and the executive said no. And so he put that in there as a joke. I'm kind of glad that they said no. I don't know if I'd like time travel and Nightmare on Elm Street, but, uh, Uh, I mean, we had space and Jason X and it was supposed to happen in Halloween. Why not? That's that's true. (laughs) But, uh, so Jeannie, who is played by Amy T. T. Arden, she goes upstairs to try and prank Marnie. And she attempts to do a ghost face voice, but she she reveals herself by laughing. And, and before Marnie uh, mysteriously goes silent on the phone, and uh, Jeannie uh, figures that she's pranking her. And uh, her voice is uh, she's uh, uh, Marnie calls Jeannie on the on her phone, and he's trying to prank her as a ghost face, and uh, Jeannie's not believing it. And then her voice is replaced by the real ghost face, who ends up taunting. Jenny until she steps near the front door and I will say because okay, this is like one of my favorite things about uh this one is okay so the, you know spoiler alert obviously everybody knows who's seen this or if you haven't seen it I don't know why you're listening to this spoilers don't listen to this if you haven't watched the film yet but there's two killers in this movie and uh, one of them doesn't have that high of a body count Versus the other one, but the but that killer does make up for it by being absolutely amazing on the phone as Ghostface. Like uh, some of the lines in this movie, in my opinion, are 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 could rival Billy Loomis's lines in uh, Scream nineteen ninety six because you know Billy did most of the calls in in that one. Uh, 
But uh, one of my favorite lines is, is in this opening, uh, Ghostface is taunting Jenny, and he says, Think of me as your director. You're in my movie. You got a fun part, so don't blow it. What movie? Same one Marnie's in. Only her part got cut way back. But you, you're the dumb blonde with the big tits. We'll have some fun with you before you die. I have a 4.0 GPA and 135 IQ, asshole. What did you do with Marnie? She's on the cutting room and then floor. Her, and then her body gets thrown to the window. And it, it's fucking great. But uh, he, yeah, he throws her, her her corpse to the window. And then they end up having a, a chase. Ghostface chases Jenny and ends up chasing her into like a renovated garage. And it's here where she ends up getting stabbed and then she tries to crawl to safety and is in kind of in like a, an homage to original scream. Uh, Jeannie goes uh, crawling under a garage door before Ghostface uh, uses it to uh, crush her. And then he, he ends up stabbing her before we open up to the true uh, title screen. How do you feel about all that, JR? Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the straight to the word where we were was I think would have been the better play. And obviously you gotta get your title card after significant kills we've seen in every screen movie. So but I I thought the I thought the kills were the kills were, were great once we finally got to them. Oh yeah. I definitely loved how uh sadistic this ghost face was on the phone as well. But yeah, so after this after the title screen, the the true title screen we wake. We, it's the next morning, and we see, uh, you know, our beloved Dewey Riley, who is the sheriff now, uh, and not deputy, sheriff Dewey, Dewey Riley, and he's awakened uh, by his cell phone, and he's called down to the main church town to sort out a prank involving uh, ghost face costumes that are being put on lampposts, and uh, we also see that uh, Gail is in bed with him, and we see a ring on her finger, so you know Dewey and Gail are married, like we figured, because Scream Three. Uh, Dewey proposed to Gail. And so now in this one, they're married. Originally, there was actually, uh, in the original script, there was supposed to be a baby. They were supposed to have a baby, but apparently uh, Wes Craven and them said it would be just, it would it was too much trouble trying to figure out how to how to maneuver a baby around in the script uh, with everything. It just would be so much chaos, so they just ended up uh, getting rid of the, the, the baby uh, part of the script, which I think was was a better part anyway. And uh, an interesting little uh, thing, as far as like real life in this time, was that even though Dewey and Gail are married uh, in this film, they were you know David Arquette and Courtney Cox got married in real life, but it, during this time. They were going through a separation, and apparently, there was a little bit of tension on the set, but they remained professional th- th- throughout the film. Can you imagine having to like do a movie with your soon-to-be ex-wife? Yeah, I mean, um, based on what I can tell, that David Arquette uh, was married to Courtney Cox, or they're married to each other. In uh, 1999, they ended up divorcing in... Uh, 2013 this film was released in 2011 typically um, there's a separation that kind of occurs um, you know you hear stories about that it's, it's especially because of how things go through the courts it's not like you say I'm gonna get you know I want to get divorced today 
and then it gets done within like a matter of a month like especially if you've been married for a significant part significant amount of time and there's kids involved i mean it could be a period but i believe based if what i'm the information looked up is true they had divorced they had announced they were going through a separation phase and begin October 2010, which means that they've had already had problems for a while. So um, I'm not exactly sure. I know this film was released in April 2011 because I saw it opening night in theaters. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, when the filming was done. But you figure even if it was in January 2010 and they announced that they were going through a child separation in October 2010, there was problems already there. Um, for at least a year before they get to this point. So that is it, just, you know, so you got to act together. You got to act like a married couple. You're on the set together. And then, you know, you have every, you know, everybody else around you, whether everybody from Emma, you know, Emma Roberts to, you know, Nev Campbell, probably, you know, gossip was going around. It just had to create a very just, you know, for them because they're the couple, but also for everybody and, you know, especially, you know, I don't, obviously we don't know the relationship, but, you know, you figure somebody that worked with them for a long time, like Nev Campbell and Wes Craven, they had to create, you know, problems for them as well. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, you said it best. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they were, according to the uh, internet, was able to act professional uh, throughout filming. So hopefully there wasn't many problems. Just you know, besides the obvious tension, but uh, yeah. So Dewey arrives and to find his deputy uh, Judy Hicks, who is a new character that we're introduced to, who's played by Mary Shelton, and she's waiting there. And then you know they end up uh, exchanging some dialogue over Judy's uh, lemon squares that are kind of funny because uh, Judy says uh, Judy's trying to get uh, trying to get Dewey to try her lemon squares, and he's kind of politely decline and, and she says uh you won't uh you're not cheating on your wife if you try my lemon squares uh, uh sheriff and he says yeah but i will be ch- ch- cheating on my diet and i thought that was kind of funny but also isn't that like a weird line to say you're not cheating on your wife if you try my lemon squares that's kind of weird <laughs> listen you don't try another woman's lemon squares if you're married <laughs> this like there's just lines you don't cross, Kyle, and There's this is one of them. But um, never eat another woman's lemon squares. I mean, if you're like, <sighs> there's just you know probably there's like unwritten rules. It's like you know you you really probably shouldn't have a meal or dessert made from another woman if you're married unless they're related to you. Um, it's I mean it's just. It's one thing if you're like at a potluck or something like that, but if it's just like, hey, I made you these cookies, I made you these lemon squares, why? Suspicion arouses, especially if there's anything that could be that some people think like, you know, especially we know how friendly she was to, you know, Dewey. So I'm just saying it's probably not a good idea that he took them. That's true. Hey, they say just thinking about it is cheating. So, (laughs) but, uh, but but you know th- th- this scene obviously sets up and shows us that you know it's clear that Judy has a little bit of a crush on Dewey, and you know while they're doing that, they end up receiving a call about the murders of Jeannie and Marnie, and uh, meanwhile we see uh, 
uh, one of the, the newer characters, Kirby Reed, who is played by Hayden Panettiere, who is probably arguably everyone's favorite character in this film. Everybody stands Kirby. I, I love Kirby. Kirk. Kirby's like easily one of my favorite characters in the series, uh, especially in this movie. But uh, Kirby ends up picking up Sydney, uh, Sydney's uh, younger cousin, Jill Roberts, who is played by Emma, who is played by Emma Roberts. Wow, very uh, creative with the name there. And uh, her friend Olivia, who lives next door to Jill. Uh, Jill ends up getting a weird uh, call from Ghostface using Jenny's phone, and Olivia reveals that she also got a similar call uh, from Marty's phone earlier in the morning. And so then they end up uh, arriving at school, and we see them uh, instantly get flocked by this the, this version of the of the uh, film geeks that that we originally saw in the original film, like uh, in, in Scream, how Randy was part of the part of the, the movie club of Woodsboro High. This is this version of them, and it's Charlie and. I can't remember the other guy's name. Oh, shit, my uh, mind went blank. Uh, Charlie and Robbie. Charlie and Robbie. My bad. My mind went totally blank. I was quickly there. going through the, the cast and yeah. I was trying to find it right now. But uh, they're flocked by, the, by them. And uh, they question, they ask them, you know, what's their favorite scary movie in honor of it being the anniversary of the events from the first film? And uh, Kirby has a funny, has a cheeky response. Uh, she says, uh, they ask him what her favorite scary movie is, and she says Bambi, which gets a funny uh, laugh out of Charlie, who obviously is uh, flirting with her as well. And we see that, you know, there's something there between Charlie and uh, Kirby. Now, back at home, Gail Weathers Riley. Uh, who attempts to begin writing? Uh, she attempts to begin writing again, like a book, after she sees Sydney on television promoting her autobiography and self help self help book, and she comes up with nothing. And it's hilarious because she's literally on the laptop typing, "I can't think of a fucking thing to write about." <laughs> and all that. I'm sure we've all been there where we wanted to be creative. And write something, and then just can't, the words just won't come to us. I mean, I could tell you from you know going through college from either my bachelor's or my master's programs, writer blocks is a real thing. But I had to try to get through writer block to write, you know, papers that were you know five, ten, fifteen pages long. I cannot imagine sitting there trying to write a novel that you're expecting to crank out anywhere between 250 to 350 or plus pages worth of, you know, writing. So yeah, that would have been me putting my head through a computer trying to get through that writer's block. Oh yeah. I guess that's how I'd be too. But, uh, across town, we see Sydney and her new publicist, uh, Rebecca Walters, who is played by Allison Bree, who, well, if you're like me, you know her as Annie, from the amazing uh, TV series Community. I don't know if you were a fan of Community, JR, but I highly recommend you check it out if you have it. I um, didn't... I believe it's on Netflix now as well. I did not see Community. Um, when, at the time it came out, I was probably preoccupied watching Sons of Anarchy, um, but definitely will put that into consideration. You should. It's fucking, it's great. Love it. Um, 
well, one of my favorite all-time TV shows. But uh, her and Rebecca arrive at a bookstore for the final stop on Sydney's uh, books, uh, book tour. Uh, however, you know, in the middle of her pep talk uh, during her book signing, it, it ends uh, rather briefly because we see Gail has arrived. And after very small talk, Dewey and Hicks uh, storm in, claiming that the cell phone used to call the two murdered girls is somewhere in the area. They call the phone, and outside uh, it rings, and uh, uh, Sydney realizes that's coming from the keys to Sydney's rental car, and so they open the trunk up, revealing a bloody knife and dagger, the cell phone, and pictures of Sydney smeared with the uh, victim's blood. There are also like copies of uh, Sydney's new book as well in there. And then at the station, uh, Gail is having a fight with Hicks uh, because she was she and and. Because she wants to be part of the investigation, because you know, she wrote the Woodsboro Murders books, and she 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 makes a good point, but they don't want her being a part of it. So, uh, she gets all all mad at him, and uh, she has this hilarious line where she's fighting with with Hicks, and then she tells her that her lemon squares taste like ass. <laughs> it's the funniest fucking shit. You know, I just think I. Again, I I think there's just a little bit of like, you know, sacred. It's like, you know, I know women that pride themselves on their desserts. Like for me, in the kitchen, I can grill. I can use a stovetop. I can't bake worth the shit. But I'm, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, we're around Thanksgiving time. I'm proud of the turkey I make. And, you know, I to the point where like when it comes for family stuff, I'm like, I'm making the turkey. And I just know that women pride themselves on, you know, some women pride themselves on desserts. I have a close friend of mine. She loves be, she loves making gluten-free desserts. And she prides herself on how good they are. So that, like, saying that is just like, I know you made this, but I'm telling you this because this is, like, probably a very derogatory thing I could tell you that's going to, like, make you, put you in your feelings. So that's just mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty pretty mean. Um uh... But uh, after this, you know, she, uh, she has a disagreement with Dewey, and then they end up refusing to, uh, uh, they refuse her offer to help solve the case. Uh, Jill, Olivia, and Kirby are all inter- interviewed about the phone calls, and Sydney is told she can't leave Woodsboro since she is technically a suspect. And Sydney ends up electing to stay with uh, Jillian and Jillian's mother, Kate. And Kate is Sydney's mom's sister. And I, I don't know about you, Jared, but Kate was just uh, not a good character at all. She even, like, there was even a scene where Kate said, uh, oh, everyone, or, like, basically implies that uh, all anyone ever talks about is her sister and how she's a victim, too. Uh, but and, 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 uh, no one ever asked her about, uh, about her. I was like, that was kind of, ooh, sorry, you know, no one asked about you. That's kind of shitty to say. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the um, the ant um, was more of an ends to a, an ends to a mean, you know, the character yeah. of Jill needed needed a mother. I, I mean, obviously, if she's gonna be in a role and be Sydney's cousin, so um, you know, eventually, you know, how if Sydney's out of the area, she has to stay somewhere. So this is allows that. that would allow Sydney and Jill to intermingle with each other more often if she's staying with them versus staying in a hotel. Yeah, that's true. 
But yeah, Kate was just, I just don't, don't like her as a character at all. I, she gave, she brought nothing to the film, but, uh, I, I, I did leave out a pretty important scene that I completely forgot about. Uh, I completely skipped over, uh, when they first, I don't know if you caught on to this too, JR, uh, when they're first at school, when they're in the classroom, everybody's, uh, all the students' phone rings all at the same time. And, and that lets everybody know, it's like alert, letting everybody know about the murders of Olivia, um, not of Olivia, of uh, Jenny and Mari. And I don't know if you picked up on it. Did you notice that Jill's phone did not ring? No, I did not. Jill's phone does not ring. It's a nice little, you know, wink at what's to come. The That night, uh, Jillian ends up getting a visit from her ex, Trevor. And he ends up getting scared away by Sydney, and then he ends up leaving. And, and I love this scene because it's like it's pretty much like a an homage to you know the original Scream, where uh, Trevor is supposed essentially supposed to be Billy sneaking in through the window to see Jill, and then Sydney comes in and sees it, and then she even says, "Oh, I just had a, a little deja vu there." And uh, later. Kirby and Jill are watching Shaun of the Dead in her room, and Jillian is talking to Olivia, who is changing in her room, and uh, Olivia lives next door to Jill, and they can see her room from, you know, Jill's room. Uh, Kirby uh, ends up getting a call from Ghostface, who is calling from Trevor's phone. Uh, Ghostface ends up getting serious and starts making some claims that he's in the closet, and so then Jill and Kirby are, are getting worried so they start uh checking around and they open the closet door and they find that there's no ghost face and she says uh, kirby calls him a liar and then he has this great line where he says i never said i was in your closet and then they turn and look and then he breaks out he busts out of uh, livia's closet and he proceeds to stab her throw her around the room and just fucking uh, murder murder her while while jillian uh, Kirby and Sydney are, are are watching. Uh, rushing over, uh, Sydney breaks in and runs upstairs, and she finds Olivia's corpse laid out on the bed with her intestines and a pile beside her. And this was a brutal fucking scene. Like, you forget how how graphic and gory some of the scream murder uh, kills can be. Uh, Ghostface ends up calling Sydney this time, and Jill arrives. And she remembers the, Olivia's tendency to dub Sydney as the Angel of Death. Uh, Ghostface pops out again. This time, he ends up slashing Jill's arm uh, before being tackled and thrown down the stairs by Sydney. Because you know Ghostface is clumsy as shit and <laughs> always always ends up falling down. Uh, they end up getting into an ensuing fight, and Sydney seemingly knocks Ghostface unconscious, but he disappears, and she ends up. Uh, he disappears, and Detective Haas and Deputy Perkins arrive along with Kirby and, Ter- and Trevor. What do you think about this uh, this whole scene and the murder of Olivia? So the murder of Olivia is by far one of the most gruesome. I think in the all the series, all of them, all four Scream, is the, what the most gruesome kill because it's really gory, and um, it's just a very brutal kill. Um, in just the way that it was shown. I think, I mean, you got to compare it to Scream 1 with Drew Barrymore and her and her boyfriend. I think this one was way worse. Um, obviously, the ensuing part, I think, allows there to kind of, I'm trying to think of the correct term, like have like some 
everybody's a suspect type thing or just like you don't know who's going to be next anybody could be killed um so i think that's kind of like how that was done but yeah this the the olivia part is so like i remember what i watched it like actually i watched her kill twice a day and i was just like god like they like brutalized her Oh yeah, it was a it was a brutal, brutal fucking kill. Next, we have we're at the hospital, uh, and Sydney ends up firing her publicist Rebecca after she tries to take advantage of the current murders to sell Sydney's book and her and obviously her career. So Sydney ends up firing her. Good on Sydney because she that was a really shitty thing for her to do to try and take advantage of murders to further her career, but uh. She, uh, Rebecca is heading to her car and she gets a, a phone call from, from Ghostface. And Are you writing this down? Yes, I am. It's kind of hard to hear you. I'm in the hospital with Sydney. If you could just hang on one second. <laughs> I've got time. It's you that doesn't. It doesn't sound to me like you're in the hospital. Sounds like you're in a parking garage. A dark and deserted parking garage. But if you want to be in the hospital, I'd be happy to put you there in the morgue. And that's easily one of my favorite lines in this film and one of my favorite ghost face uh, lines. God, it was just, it was fucking great. Like I said before, like the, the ghost face uh calls in this film are just uh are like bar none like just uh, rival that of the original and uh ghostface ends up uh ends up attacking rebecca and he like runs up because she's she tries to run away and she goes to the a door to open it and the handle breaks off and then he, she turns around and, and ghostface literally just runs up to her and just stabs her and he's like he like looks at her in the face as she dies and then he ends up throwing her her body off of the parking garage roof onto a news van while Dewey is having a press conference regarding the murders. And in that time, uh, meanwhile, while there, Gail ends up making a deal with Robbie and Charlie who are there at the press conference if they let her get an insight into the killings since they know the pretty much all the horror nerds of the in the cinema club and all them. And they end up getting her and Sydney uh, in exchange to appear at their school cinema club as special guests. How do you think of Rebecca's uh, uh, death scene and, and Ghostface's call? The call was great. The death scene was it was it wasn't it, it was a step down because while he did I mean he basically just stabbed her but by throwing her over basically off the parking garage through the uh, the van that's where it was kind of like the more violent type of kills that we just hadn't really seen in the first three predecessors. More of like and when I mean that I mean more of a statement like a, that was a big statement yeah. kill. Yeah, that's true. Uh, also, I don't know if you noticed, uh, you know that the knife was fucking CGI? No, I did not know that. Yeah, apparently they didn't want to go through with a prop or, or whatever. They just chose to do a CGI knife. I'm like, what the fuck? Because you can like tell it's CGI. I mean, it's not the worst thing I've seen. I mean, fucking as much as I, as much as I like H2O, they had a fucking CGI, just CGI mask. That's very true. Uh, next we're at the cinema club the following afternoon and Charlie is going through all the horror genre and how the rules have changed since the 1990s basically he's doing 
Randy moment. And during this conversation, Robbie talks about a the upcoming Stabathon, which is an annual party where the local teens get together and watch the Stab films while playing a drinking game. Uh, Gail tries to get the location, but she can't convince uh, Robbie or Charlie to give her the location. And so Charlie and Robbie also say that the murders are related to the original film of Stab, as two kids died in their house, Steve and Casey, Marnie and Jenny, then the hottest girl in school is killed, Tatum, Olivia. Uh, Jillian ends up remaining, uh, Jill remains at home since her mom won't let her go, while Kirby ends up heading to the party. Uh, Gail is revealed to have followed uh, everybody to the abandoned barn where the party is happening, and she proceeds to place cameras uh, around the barn with her identity hidden with uh, by wearing a ghost face mask and dude gail was not very sneaky at all with these fucking cameras like anyone could have figured out what she was doing one of the worst jobs ever i mean she might as well just like just said hey i'm videotaping all you guys on the loudspeaker yeah she was terrible at this not a good sneaky person at all once she uh after she gets all the cameras set up she slips out to kind of to watch over them and Gail sees that someone is tampering with the cameras. Uh, she ends up calling Duty. Uh, Dewey convinced that it's the killer, and uh, she threatens to go back inside if he doesn't get there quick. Gail uh, goes inside to investigate the cameras, and she finds a webcam planted to watch her. Uh, outside, Dewey is watching through a camera. Uh, when he arrives, he looks through the where her vehicle is, and he sees the camera. He's watching through a camera of one of Gail's, and he notices that she's holding it backwards, and the killer is approaching, and he rushes inside to save her. Uh, Gail is chased around the bells of hay, but her cries for help aren't heard over the opening scene of the original stab. Uh, Gail is pinned down, and Dewey spots her. He ends up yelling at the killer to freeze while aiming his gun, and three things happen at once. The killer stabs Gail in the shoulder. Gail pushes them away with her foot, and Dewey shoots. Dewey misses. Uh, the killer runs off, and Gail falls into the crowd of shocked teens. Uh, blood streaming from her right shoulder. Uh, she quickly warns Dewey about the webcam on the upper level before apparently losing consciousness. Now we're at Jill's house, and Detective Haas is going on his rounds after Perkins uh, says the fatal, the fatal words, I'll be right back. On his rounds, uh, Haas sees that Jill's bedroom window is open, and he returns to the car, finding that Perkins is slumped over the steering wheel, and it turns out he's just playing a, a prank on him, but neither laugh uh, because right as they're laughing about the prank, Haas ends up getting brutally attacked from behind and Perkins is stabbed in the forehead, like literally straight in the forehead, and, and right before he dies, he sights he, he fuck Bruce Willis before dying. Okay, so the first officer, which um, was played by Adam Brody. Yes, uh, of, uh, Deputy Ross, eh, it's, it's our typical kill. By uh, Officer Sher- uh, Deputy Perkins, pretty freaking crazy. I mean, stabbed right in the forehead, and I mean, yeah, I, that's just that's not like that's not a, a type of kill or stabbing that you would expect. I mean, that's like your Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers type of kill. Yeah, yeah, it was a brutal fucking kill, and just just really just literally stabs him straight to forehead, and him it's just saying fuck Bruce Willis, then falls over dead. What the hell? Yeah, might as well say hippie Kaye or something at that yeah, point. That was fucking hilarious. Uh, meanwhile, inside, Sydney takes down uh, wind chimes because they're off balance, and she isn't sure how to fix them. A few moments later, she ends up being uh, tense, and she hears she hears them again. Uh, surprising her, it's revealed that it's her. At her aunt Kate 
who comes in with grocery bags and leaves again to grab another one. Ghostface ends up calling Sydney and makes a comment about her family being most important to her. Uh, this prompts Sydney to go check on Jill, but she finds the room empty with uh, Jill's laptop on the bed. Sydney opens it up and sees the message. The messenger is left open, revealing that Kirby took Jill to her house for an after party. Downstairs, uh, Kate reveals that the cops are no longer out front, and Sydney grabs her hand, intending to leave the way to the car. When they open the back door, Ghostface's reflection on the wind chimes. They they see Ghostface's reflection on the wind chimes, and they turn around at the front door. Ghostface rustles to get inside, but Kate successfully closes the door by sitting down and propping herself between the door and the nearby archway. Unfortunately, Ghostface stabbed her through the mail slot, killing her. Like he literally, literally opened the mail slot and and stabbed her. What a fucking way to just. That was just a weird, weird, weird one, and a weird way for her, for her to die. Yes, you know what? And I'm I'm trying to recollect again. It's been a decade, but I don't think this kill got over very well in the movie theater because a lot of people were like, "Huh." Especially, you know, she spits up blood and then, you know, yeah. Sydney pulls her off and see the, the knife. I, it just, I don't know if, if people just thought it, it didn't seem believable. Um, I, you know, or I didn't think or, it was believable. Or, or more of like a kill of convenience. Like, oh, how convenient there was a mouse slot because, I mean, mouse slots are not something you see in neighborhoods. Um, I think it's like the you know it's, it has to be like a very specific neighborhood to have that type of mail you know for those mail slots because nowadays they pretty much put either mailboxes like group mailboxes or um or they come you have a post office come to your house and has you know you have a mailbox at your house but um yeah it's just kind of like it was just not a I just probably wouldn't have done that kill yeah I wish they would have killed her in a different way because that was just not a very believable kill at all but I digress. Uh, Hicks arrives and she ends up checking on Kate, but Sydney runs off. And meanwhile, at Kirby's house, Trevor arrives and he causes an upset among the others around uh, Kirby, Jill, Robbie, and Charlie. He claims he was invited through a text from Jill from Jill's phone, and Jill denies this. And she finds her phone has gone missing, and then she ends up leaving to go upstairs and attempt to find it. And Trevor follows her. Uh, Robbie and Robbie heads outside, leaving Charlie and Kirby alone. Uh, where they nearly have a moment and are about to kiss, but they're interrupted by Trevor. And then Charlie ends up leaving uh, frustrated because, you know, he didn't get his kiss, which Kirby was interrupted. Uh, and then Trevor ends up uh, embarrassed by what he walked in on. He ends up leaving as well. And there's this fucking, I love this scene because there's really just a moment where, like, Kirby's just, like, looking all, all like, pissed off at Trevor. And she just yells, who invited you, Trevor? And then he, like, walks, he's, like, walk around and shows, get out of my house. He's like, well, why do these people are just hanging out in this girl's house who just, who doesn't want them there? It's fucking hilarious. Very high schoolish. I just love the whole, who invited you, Trevor? That's, honestly, that's my line where I say, like, if I'm somewhere, I'm, and I'll say at other people's house, too, I'll be like, who invited you? And they're like, this ain't even your house. I'm like, I don't care. I still want to who invited you. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, I don't know if you noticed this at all, JR. Uh, a lot of people didn't at first. But a little fun, subtle wink that Craven threw in. Uh, did you notice that Trevor is wearing the identical outfit that Neil Prescott wears in the original Scream? Um, I did as of today. Yeah, that that denim that I you know what I love those type of jackets just on the side tangent, but it's also weird though because it's he's dressed the same way, but he's supposed to be the character of like Billy 
were and, and no, that's what people thought. But him dressing as Neil Prescott is a red is showing that he's the red herring that he's not the killer. Okay, yeah, and so that's what I thought was great that they really get that little wink there that ha oh, here's the red herring. He's really dressed as Neil. He's 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 Neil in this film, and you don't realize it. But uh, Jill ends up walking downstairs, and she claims that Trevor followed her upstairs, and then a drunk Robbie is trying to stream the live video blog, but he's ends up being surprised by Ghostface. Who ends up uh, mercilessly stabs him and leaves him to die in the bushes. And I love this this part because, like, right before Robbie gets killed, or right before Ghostface stabs Robbie one last time, uh, Robbie Robbie goes, "Wait, wait, wait! You can't kill me. I'm I'm gay. If it helps." <laughs> and, then, and then he stabs him. <laughs> oh, um, man, poor like poor Robbie, man. That dude, like, he just feels so bad. It's like he he didn't have to die. Yeah, did he? He was a good character. Like he wasn't bad. He didn't do anything wrong. Literally just a horror nerd that just wanted to, you know, hang out with his friends. But uh, meanwhile, Sydney arrives with news of Kate's death, and uh, Robbie ends up uh, struggling to get to the door, and he gasps out a run before he finally dies. And this is where uh, Ghostface shows up, and they end up shutting shutting the door on him, but not really. He ends up pushing through. Uh, Jill and Cindy run upstairs, uh, being pursued by Ghostface, while Kirby runs off somewhere downstairs. Uh, Sydney locks her and Jill in Kirby's room, ordering Jill to hide under the bed while she fakes Jill's escape out out on the terrace. Uh, Ghostface seemingly buys it, and Sydney calls Dewey. She is forced to let go of the terrace to escape Ghostface. Downstairs... Sydney finds Kirby and they lock themselves in a room in the basement and then Charlie ends up arriving, hands soaked in blood and begs to be let inside. Sydney warns Kirby not to open the door unless she is 100% sure she can trust Charlie. Since Kirby doesn't trust him enough, all she and Sydney can do is watch as he he is attacked by Ghostface before the patio lights go out. And here's one of the the best scenes in my opinion. The the patio lights come back on, and we see Charlie is duct taped to a chair, uh, just like how Steve was in the original Scream. And uh, Kirby is forced to become the new Casey Becker uh, and trying to save his life by answering horror, horror trivia while Sydney sneaks back upstairs to find to try and find Jill. And Kirby answers her first question wrong, but Ghostface gives her a pity last chance question. Without hearing the whole question, she answers by listing every possibility there is. I mean, she lists every possible horror film. Wait, no, 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 no. Please, just ask me one more question. Just one more. Right, Kirby. Then it's time for your last chance question. Name the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which the villain... Halloween, uh, Texas Chainsaw, Dawn of the Dead, The Hills Have Eyes, Amityville Horror, uh, Last House on the Left, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, My Bloody Valentine, When a Stranger Calls a Prom Night, Black Christmas, House of Wax, The Fog, uh, Piranha. It's one of those, right? Right? got it right i was fucking right it's great kirby is like you know fucking horror nerd royalty uh it is great uh i think i sent you i I think i may have sent you the the screenshots of it or or i I know i tweeted about it uh the original script of this had this scene going way better and way longer to the point that 
uh, he he asked Kirby, uh, at what age did Jason drown? And she literally had to like do math, like right off, off the top of her head, and, and figure out Jade's, uh, Jason's birthday and what year he drowned it in, and figure out how old he was when he drowned. And I thought that would have been interesting, interesting if they would have kept that in. But I can see why they cut it down. Because originally it was supposed to be a way longer to a scene, but I I like what they did here. Like I love how Kirby Kirby just like names off every possible horror film there is, and she's like, "I got it right, didn't I? I got it." And Ghostface doesn't answer, and she says, "I got it fucking right." How'd you think of that scene? No, well, I mean it was great, and Kirby Hayden is by far the best actor actress in this film. I mean, she really brings a lot to this film, especially the you know the from. The whole middle part when you skip the en- the ending and the beginning, like she's. I mean, I would have done everything I could to try to bring her back for the sequel. Um, um he'll get to that in a minute. Uh, go. Uh, Kirby ends up uh, opening the door, you know, thinking that you know she she won, and she rushes outside and uh she rushes outside to free Charlie while claiming that she won. And then she is very surprised as we are all when Charlie says, uh, how's this for, uh, here's me making a move. And he ends up stabbing Kirby in the stomach with a knife revealing that he's one of the killers. And he claims that, you know, four, four years of classes together is too long for Kirby to wait before trying to make a move on him. And then Charlie ends up running inside, leaving a bleeding Kirby, uh, for dead. Okay, so first of all, Charlie is one of the killers. Did you see that one coming? Uh, not after he was taped up, no. Yeah, yeah. After he was taped up, I definitely didn't see it. When, when when they when she untaped him and then he pulls out a knife and stabs her, I was like, okay, that was fucking genius. Uh, that did not. That was, that was a truly shocking reveal there. I, I'll tell you who I think my killer is at the end. Okay, but yeah, that was a pretty shocking reveal. But then, uh, so so what I was what I was saying beforehand. Though where it says that uh, leaves a bleeding Kirby to die. So in the Scream Four commentary on the DVD, if you listen to Wes Craven's commentary, he actually says that they intentionally did not show Kirby dead. Uh, and and the final shot we see of Kirby is she's still moving around, and that's because he never planned for her to die. He was gonna bring her back in the sequel. Uh, so Kirby, by all means, according to Wes Craven. And from the last thing we saw her, she was uh, moving around. She didn't die. So she very well could come back in Scream 22. I don't know if she will. I doubt she will. I, mean, I figured if she was cast in the film, it would have it would have leaked already. But technically, Kirby's not dead, according to Wes Craven. And for just, I mean, from the last time we saw her, she was still moving. We never see her actually die. I would have unloaded a brink shark full of money to get Hayden back for the sequel. Right, because she was easily everyone's fan, a fucking fan favorite. But uh, Sydney ends up seeing Jill was gone, and she goes to get Kirby. But uh, she is caught by Charlie, who holds Sydney at knife point. Uh, she struggles free, but runs straight into Ghostface. This is this is probably my favorite scene in the entire film. I literally clapped the first time I saw this movie and I saw this this scene. Sydney runs. She's free from Ghostface. She runs straight, and then Ghostface, another Ghostface, comes around the corner, and she runs straight into Ghostface's knife as she's racing for the front door. Ghostface slowly takes the mask off, and it's fucking Jill. Jill is the second killer and the mastermind behind the murders. I fucking clapped. I know some people are kind of like, what? Uh, I hate Jill. 
I loved it. I was like, this was okay. I didn't see this coming at all. This was fucking great. And I don't think you could honestly have picked anyone better than Emma Roberts to play Jill to pull this off. Yeah, Emma Roberts has an ability to play like a nice girl, but also just something in her like facial expresses in her eyes that she could be a total psychopath. Um, and she did it well in this. Dude, yeah, yeah. She plays really great psychopaths uh, and just straight up bitches in the American Horror Stories uh, 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 seasons that she's on and in the uh, adjacent series uh scream queens that ryan murphy has but yeah uh fucking jill man as a killer that was one of my favorite reveals ever and that whole scene was done beautifully but uh jill claims that she's never had a true identity that she was always simply the girl related to sydney and she grew up in the shadow of the woman she had never even met and then charlie and jill end up voicing their intentions to become the gen- this generation's sydney and randy charlie reveals trevor who was gagged and bound in a nearby cutboard, and Jill says he's the one who'll take the fall for the massacre. Uh, this meant to include the attacks on Jill and Charlie, the only survivors. Uh, Jill ends up uh, shooting Trevor in the groin as punishment for cheating on her, and so for all those who don't know, Jeannie, who, who was killed at the beginning of the movie, played by Amy Teagarden, she was the one who Trevor cheated on Jill with. Uh, but she, tr- she sh- shoots Trevor in the groin, and I flinched when i saw this this oof painful and uh she ends up uh, he cheated on her after taking her virginity and then she then she ends up shooting him in the head uh charlie asked her to stab him in the shoulder copying billy and Stu's the botched attempt to fake injuries from the first film she instead stabs him straight in the heart and charlie is surprised by this and jill informs him that being the sole survivor would win her far more fans so huh, charlie got betrayed charlie got played I I was gonna say with Charlie, um, don't I feel bad for him too because he just wanted attention and thought he had a girlfriend and just like nope that girl she wanted the she wanted the whole spotlight the whole kid and caboodle to be on her nobody else. Yep, and uh, Sydney asks how could she have done this to all of her friends and Jill declares that she doesn't need uh, she needs fans not friends and uh, 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 now Charlie has become the Stu mocker of the remake. Jill, Jill continues her her, her her jealous rant to Sydney before stabbing her once more for good measure. After this happens, Jill goes off. She cleans off the gun. She leaves it by Trevor's corpse. Uh, she uses her hand to scratch her cheek, or she uses his hand to scratch her cheek. She pulls out a handful of her own hair with his with his hand. Jill stabs herself with a knife by running against the wall, pressing the knife to her shoulder. She then cleans the knife and, and the knife off, and then she runs into a glass frame and then purposely falls into a glass coffee table to cause herself more believable injuries and then collapses near Sydney, mirroring her death pose exactly. Dude, this and holy shit, this was an insane plan by Jill, and she pulled it off beautifully at this point. Like, honestly, you're thinking, holy shit, Jill's gonna fucking get away with it. Uh, Jill ends up uh, at the hospital. Now we see like uh, Jill being taken out of the house uh, on a stretcher, and there's reporters everywhere, and you see all these flash to all this, all these cameras going off, and it's basically it looks like you know, oh wow, Jill's gonna get away with it. No, at the hospital, Jill is held as a hero, and she jokingly says that uh, she and Gail could write a book together due to their matching shoulder wounds. Uh oh, she fucked up because 
it was never revealed to anyone that Gail had a shoulder wound. Dewey ends up telling Jill that she might not be the sole survivor and that Sydney is in the ICU, but she hasn't woken up from surgery yet. And I love that part whenever she tells them, whenever Dewey tells Jill that Sydney still is in the ICU and she's not dead. Jill just has this look on her face like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so this whole part was like, I, I get what, what Jill was trying to do, but man, it was just, again, watching the movie theaters and the way the crowd reacted, it was just was like, <sighs> the train got back on derailment. Like, we're good there for a minute, but just the whole kicking her own ass to try to be the sole survivor was just weird. I get it. But uh, Jill sneaks out of her room after Dewey leaves, and she's determined to go kill Sydney. Uh, Jill proceeds to attack Sydney as she awakens, and she even says this hilarious line where she goes, Who are you, Michael fucking Myers? <laughs> and uh, she ends up choking her and throwing her up against a glass door of a nearby medicine cabinet. Uh, Dewey and Gail quickly realize the truth when they remember that Dewey never told Jill about Gil's attack or about her wounds. And it's funny because Dewey literally, like, once he realizes that, oh, shit, Jill's the actual second killer, but he just goes, oh, shit, and then he just takes off running, and Dewey runs off to find Sydney, uh, calling Hicks for backup. Uh, Jill hides in a supply closet where she hears, when she hears Dewey arrives, and she ends up attacking him with a bedpan when he burst in. Like he, She beat the shit out of him with a, with a fucking bedpan. Only to be uh, interrupted by Sydney. Uh, Jill regains the upper hand and pushes her knee into Sydney's stitches, causing them to come, become undone. Uh, Gail intervenes, but she's uh, shot by Jill, who has stolen Dewey's gun. And then Deputy Hicks jumps into the room, throwing herself and Gail over the nearby bed. Uh, Jill orders them to come out on the threat of shooting Dewey. Uh, Hicks jumps up immediately and is apparently shot dead. Gail gets up. But, and she sees Sydney moving, stalling for time. Gail fumbles over words in a poor attempt to stop Jill as Sydney uh, silently reaches for the shock paddles. Uh, begging for one last word, uh, Gail says clear, and Jill's like, clear? And, it, which, and she questions why she's saying this, and then she is, and then she immediately gets electrocuted by Sydney, who, who puts one paddle to each of her temple, one paddle to each to her temple, and Sydney told her, uh, that uh, she forgets the she, uh, that Jill forgot the first rule of remakes. Don't fuck with the original. Uh, Gail and Sydney see that Dewey's alive, and behind them, a shadow moves, and Jill jumps up, pouncing at Sydney with a glass shard, only to be shot in the chest by a, uh, a knowing uh, Sydney. It turns out that Judy has also survived because the bulletproof vest she wore, and she has this funny line where she says, Wear the vest, save your chest, before she faints. And then Sydney and all the action, her injuries and exhaustion, lies back down next to her cousin's body. And she whispers, I don't know about you, but I feel a lot better. And then outside, we see lots of reporters are praising Jill for having single-handedly ended the Woodsboro killings. And the final shot is of Jill's dead eyes as the whole town is about to realize that their supposed savior is actually the mastermind behind it all. I don't know about you, JR, but I honestly would have loved if this movie would have ended with Jill leaving the house on the stretcher with all the photo, with all the cameras flashing and everything, people with people thinking that she was the sole survivor. And then maybe in the sequel, they could have it to where uh, Sydney is alive and is going after Jill. 
Yeah, I mean that could that could potentially work. That's true. Uh, so before we get into the time of the I will say, I don't know if you realize it or not, but uh, Jill planned out everything so perfectly to the point that uh, she she literally only killed she only killed Trevor and Charlie. She only killed two people. Uh, Charlie killed everyone everyone else, but most of the phone calls uh, were Jill. But like Jill said, she wanted to be the sole survivor, and she wanted to be the one that that uh, uh, people would would pin her as the one who was responsible for saving the day, so that she would not be. And she wanted to make sure that she could pin everything on Charlie, and she got him to kill everybody except for those two, which is great. But yeah, uh, that was Scream Four. Uh, what's your thoughts and rankings and stuff before we wrap so- this up? Real quick, I want to say who I thought the killer was. The entire time until we get to the ending, I seriously thought it was, um, I thought, no, 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 no. I thought it was Judy. Me too. I thought it was going to come out that Judy was the sister, long lost sister of Billy or something like that. And she was going to explain like how it destroyed her family and why this is why she's going after Sydney's family and stuff like that. So that's what uh, I thought it was. That's what yeah. I thought was going to be the um, the end result. And, and me too. First time I saw this film, uh, I suspected Judy because she seemed to have this weird like obsession with Sydney. And then, as far as my rankings, I I still give it a two point five out of five. Let's say uh, ghost face masks. I still think you know there are some good kills. I think there's some some really good great acting in here. Like I really did like Hayden. I liked Rory. Um, I thought I thought Marley Shelton, who played Judy Hick, did a great job. Um, of course, obviously all of our originals. It's just like I said. I go back to it's the beginning that kind of I think it just puts the for me puts the plane in, into uh, as I say I keep saying this because I think I watched probably one too many wrestling promos, but. It just it takes you know the plane the plane into a nosedive and it's just it's really hard to you know for me to pull up to enjoy the overall film and then just kind of the whole ending with with uh with Emma Roberts or Jill when she's kicking her own ass is like I said that movie theater was just like we're all like what the hell are we watching like this is weird yeah I I can see that uh on the other hand I I love this movie it's my second favorite in the franchise. I'm gonna give it four ghost face mask out of five. Um, and I love all the new characters, well, the ones that survive, Kirby, especially. Uh, I love the reveal of Jill and Charlie being the killers. And not so much Charlie, but Jill. Jill was fucking excellent reveal. Uh, I, I thought that, I just thought the story was great, and just I loved everything about this. Uh, about about this, I had a few grabs here and there, uh, but overall, really, really loved it. Is there uh before we uh do our final is there any uh, our sign off do is there anything you want to add kyle oh well uh you know it, it's november uh, uh this is you know our first movie of the month we, we, we only have we're only doing two this month uh, we're doing this we did this and we're doing thanks killing which is gonna be a fucking blast to talk about uh, that'll be a few weeks from now because uh we're kind of taking it easy this month given you know holidays and just some uh uh, just busy family stuff. Uh, uh, me and Jared both have uh, have this month. Uh, just the usual, you know. Check, uh, make sure you listen to our friends. Sounds from the grave. Scream queens. Uh, Crystal Lake soldiers. And uh, so many more. 
uh, checked out, check out, check all their episodes out. Uh, really great people. And just remember to, uh, go to a movie theater, uh, or, or on a streaming service and, uh, make sure to check out, uh, check out some of the recent horror stuff that's come out. So good stuff. Uh, I recently saw last night in Soho in theaters, like literally a couple hours ago. Fucking incredible. Highly recommend checking it out. Other than that, though, uh, just uh, stay safe out there and have a great night, day, morning, whatever time it is you're listening to. Well, as Kyle mentioned, we were only for the month of uh, November. It's the the giving season, and we're taking it easy. Um, in fact, as we're recording uh, late Tuesday into Wednesday morning, depending on time zones. This will drop on Friday, November 5th. Hopefully, as long as everything goes well, I will actually be on the East Coast uh, celebrating my seventh wedding anniversary, uh, taking in the sights and sounds of New York City, and then transition later on to next week to Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, for a long, long anniversary trip, um, the longest trip I've taken. So that's why we're, part of the reason why we're only dropping two. Um, I think again, as we enter the holidays, you know, from Halloween through Thanksgiving is just remember your friends and family, things you're thankful for, um, and do your best to, you know, do something for others. I think one of the things during this time we think about how can we change the world for the better? And I think, uh, to still from a movie um, with from Steve Carell and Morgan Freeman, Evan Almighty, it starts with one act of random kindness. And during this holiday season, this season of giving, you know, give back and don't think, you know, how's this going to, you know, help me in the long run. Just think about what can you do for either a friend, a family member, uh, your community, somebody in need, and um, that one ran- random act of kindness will then slowly blossom into more random acts of kindness so i'll leave you with that it'll be like as kyle mentioned about two weeks before we hit you with our last movie thanks killing i'm excited to see it i haven't seen it before but i remember the trailer came out it was by far the craziest thing i've ever seen on youtube at that time so excited to watch thanks killing so with that we must bid you adieu goodbye good night and remember every day is halloween